Say sure the Music Explorers podcast. I'm Elaine. I am Scoot Magoot. And uh, I am running on not much sleep, I think. I don't know. Who am I? Who am I, Scott? Yeah, by the way, we're rebranding as a philosophy podcast, so get ready. Oh, man. I, I, I sometimes think about, like, making this into, like, a music comedy podcast. And, <laughs> and just, just trolling the fuck out of the internet. Just, oh, uh, it, w- w- one day you know like if if, if w- when we finally give up on everything else in life that that is what we'll do sounds good to um, me all right all right we will wait um <laughs> so let, let's just let's let's get into shit today um Scott, and you, i think you, the, the the type the the general theme of the story is kind of shit so maybe i'm being I, too maybe i'm being too harsh about this i'm curious yeah you're you're, you're being a little you're being be a little meanie. I'm being a little, a little salty. A little just because, salty, son. Yeah, I don't, yeah. I, I don't know why, but you just go ahead and we can talk about it. Well, so, yeah, so Scott sent this to me earlier during the week, and um, I thought it would be interesting to talk about. Uh, basically, Primus, Funk, Metal, whatever you want to call them, Legends, Primus, uh, have a tour going on with Wolf Mother and the Sword, which um, just, you know, little insert there, kind of weird pairing. It is a weird um, pairing, honestly. I, yeah, I could totally see the sword and wolf mother, but I don't really see Primus. I don't, yeah, I don't get that at mix. all. Yeah, um, but the big part of this, which uh, attracted the both of us, uh, and well, you know, it, 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 maybe not attracted is the right word, but got us interested in talking about this was that uh, every set that Primus is going to be doing is well, or I, at least part of it, I think uh, they'll be performing Rush's "The Tribute to Kings." Uh, in, in its full. entirety, yeah, yeah, uh, which is just very odd. Like, like, I, I, well, in a sense, because like I, I get the whole like tribute type of thing, you know, like having like, uh, you know, and doing like a, you know, an entire album in full. But it just, I, I think the the thing that screws me up about this is is why you would do it literally for your entire tour. Like and I mean I I'm assuming because let l- let me just check really quick. Uh, Farewell to Kings, because like that that's not exactly a short album. But, oh no no it's it's 37 minutes. So like a, a normal set would be like what like an hour. Yeah. So if if you account for time in between, you're probably going roughly 45 minutes or so. I mean depending on how much time they take. Yeah, but with, uh, with Farewell Farewell to Kings is 37 minutes. So that that basically says that you're playing this entire thing in full i mean you know it depends on how faithful you'll be to you know some of the longer parts yeah of the album meander or what have you yeah so so it could be even longer so then you basically have give or take 10 minutes to fill with original material if you even want to do that um which just doesn't make any sense both to the fans but also to the musicians like you know, I, I I think part of I, I don't know. Like, I mean, I I guess this is like sort of like a bone of contention with some bands whether you stick to the set list or not. Because uh, like th- there are some who will like you know, sort of have like a a pool of songs that they sort of choose from, whereas like some just use the same set every night. So. Yeah, I, I was. I mean, obviously, I was. You know, I'm ready to pour job of of 
showing my sarcasm, but obviously I don't think this is like a shit idea. You know, I don't think it's like the worst thing anyone could do. I just it, it, mainly, mainly, it's, I, it's I just, a good, it's a good Rush album. You know, and Primus uh, is a good band. I, I just so. think it's weird because first of all, I mean, I don't, I don't think. I mean, we've talked before that everyone seems to have a different ordering for their favorite Rush albums, but I don't think if we're being quote unquote objective, I don't think a Farewell Kings is even their best album. Like, well, I, I, so I, I think twenty one. Did you did you read the little uh, description uh, in in that article though? Uh, I can't say I did, no. Okay, so I'm going to read it right now. It says, uh, a little over uh, one year ago, Larry Lalonde and I started kicking around the idea of Primus performing a series of shows featuring an iconic Rush album from our youth. Being that A Farewell to Kings was the first Rush record I ever heard, and that it contains my all-time favorite Rush tune, Cygnus X1, the choice narrowed quickly. Uh, You know, so basically like you know I, I don't think they're thinking of it as like, oh, Rush is best. It's more like you know, sort of the album that hits hardest for them personally. Um, I can see that. Okay, I yeah. I I didn't read that far just because I kind of got stuck on the the general concept. <laughs> to be honest, um, yeah. Although I would say if you're basing a whole, I think maybe this gets into my larger issues. If I think covering another band's album in full in general, I find odd. I, I can't think of an example that you know. I actually have one. I, I there are a couple, but um. No, I mean, I can think of an example of when it's been done. I can't think of an example oh. where, like, I would I would listen to it as often, or certainly not more than the original. Uh, like, I know well, I know Flaming Lips did a full cover of Dark Side of the Moon. I know Six Feet Under has done a ton of full-length album covers. Oh, for, well, for we're, we're not going to talk about that. Well, I mean, it's still, uh, it's still a band. That, you know, it happens. I, yeah, I, I, I was thinking more of a band covering an album in its entirety live, um, I guess. And my mind immediately goes to Fish. Because apparently they, they cover like a classic album like every Halloween, if I remember right. Um, I can kind of see that being a special show. I think this being a tour is odd. Yeah. Because one of my friends pointed out like, oh, well, a band that tours this much, um, you know, they might want to do something different. But not every tour cycle is the same. So you're basically like, let's say like this is the first time Rush is coming to your city in a while and you, you don't even get a Rush concert um i think i just get I, i'm hung up on the fact that it's just a little bizarre like i just personally i would not want to go see a show of some like a band like if i go see a band i want to see them play their music uh, i mean i think it would be novel i think it would be a cool covers album but as a as a tour i don't know like i just i maybe i'm wrong maybe there's a lot of appeal for this but um i think maybe I, maybe it's it's the album specifically just because I feel like twenty one twelve or moving pictures would make more sense, in a way. Yeah, um, I don't know. See, I, I I'm a little divided because like I, I I totally see where you're coming from, but I I can also think of a couple bands that I think would be really cool to hear like entire cover albums from them live. Like um, I remember seeing this on like Reddit or something years ago of like someone came up with the idea of, of Tool, uh, covering Pink Floyd's Animals, live. Which is like that might be cool. That that sounds so fucking cool to me. Yeah. Like and, and like animals isn't even my like favorite Pink Floyd album. Like you know, so I I, I just think like things like that or like um, I know like John Zorn's done uh, a couple of tributes like or like more like traditional like bebop albums, and he's done one album that's sort of a uh, tribute to Sonny Clark. You know, so like 
that would also be kind of cool to see. But at at the same time, you know, it, it, it I, I I think it's just there's a lot going on. I I think that part of um I think the appeal for this right now is you know kind of obvious given that you know there's a hundred percent chance that Rush will not be coming back as a touring unit. Yeah, now. absolutely. Um, yeah. you know, so I and I. And and I, I'm I'm not insinuating for a second that Les Claypool is you know trying to somehow uh, reap the benefits of Neil Peart's death. I, I I don't think that's the case at all. It's more I, like I think it's just more like these two events like sort of coincided with each other very nicely. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, unfortunately, you know. Uh, but you know so. I, I think I think there's appeal to it because like you know a lot of people like Primus a lot of people like Rush, uh, you know and a lot of people you know didn't get to see Rush live or like I mean I, I know I didn't and I, I I'm really mad about that because yeah that would be great yeah I would love to see Rush it's sort of like like when Maiden starts touring again like because I I mean I, I think they're coming out with a new album this year so like I I really want to go see them just because like it's fucking Iron Maiden like yeah. you know. Um, it, it, so yeah, but but I see I I get what you mean because like I I I think like Primus live like Primus is supposed to put on an awesome live show and they have so many great like I, I one of my bucket list bands is to see Primus live because I love their music yeah. so much and they have so many great songs exactly um, that I like, would like, love, like like spanning their discography spanning yeah, different styles the, their first three albums are like basically flawless in my opinion yeah I, I'm a I, huge Primus fan. Yeah, um, I, I fucking love those albums. But I, I think my kind of strong reaction stems from, just generally, I don't really like when bands do covers live. Um, you know, it hasn't happened a ton. Well, are, are you talking about, like, like covers of entire albums or just cover songs? Even just one. So, like, obviously, you know, this is an extreme version. But even just one-off yeah. covers, it has, again, it hasn't happened a ton of the bands I've seen. But, for example, I saw Shushu. And I guess this is something they do often. I don't know if it's like... Sharp Just Man. They do Sharp Just Man. And it was funny, but also it was was a straight-laced cover. Like, it just... They just covered the song. Like, they didn't really do anything different with it at all. And so it was... Given everything else they did at the night, it was... It wasn't the biggest deal, but it kind of was just like, okay, I guess this is happening. All right. I'm just trying to think. I'm thinking of, like, bands that, like, maybe have cover songs that they do that are like really memorable and like you know i'm thinking like um it would, it would be like hendrix you know not playing uh along the watchtower mm-hmm. but like i i think you could make the argument that's that, kind like, of become his song well i mean yeah ex- i was just gonna say he kind of made that song his own yeah he, he, even dylan plays hendrix's version when he does it live um but like even I don't know, like Metallica playing like Turn the Page mm-hmm. live. Like, see, like I actually wouldn't mind that. Like, I I love a lot of the Garage Inc. material mm-hmm. um, from Metallica. If it's from you know, a covers it, album, that might be different because if if it's going the extra hump of being played live, I feel like because I mean that's a great example of they made a cover song somewhat their own in a way, just because it, you know that is almost an iconic part of their discography yeah exactly um, i mean or like um you know to go back to dylan i mean uh guns of roses playing like knocking on heaven's door you know like yeah, like yeah I, I i would love them to play that live like i i i love that version of that song so like i you know i i i guess i i don't, I, I mean i i guess we differ in opinion i i i mean like see like 
I could see where you're coming from. I, I I guess it's just like I think it's it it it's it's not like an overall. It's 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 not like it's a blanket statement for me. I guess you know like it, it's it, it depends on sort of how the band takes it and sort of like how much it dominates the band's set list or not. You know what have you. You know, it, but like if if it was just you know half baked covers the entire time, which I assume what is what would happen if you went to go see like a six feet under concert yeah you know like like that not enjoyable but like you know if if it's like you know a well-placed cover you know like like i mean i'm I'm thinking back to uh the billy joel concert that we went to in uh last year Mm -hmm. uh and they did uh i think day tripper if i remember right yeah and they did Uh, a hard day's night yeah did they do both maybe I mean, they definitely did. They have been working like a dog. Yeah, I I can't remember which one they did now. Uh, but they they definitely did a Beatles cover. Yeah. Uh, and I thought that was, and then they did that little snippet from uh, More Than a Feeling, you know. So like, I I you know that type of thing. Or like, do you remember what they they did that? Uh, I think they did that Puccini opera. Uh, piece yes, that's too, true. Which was like, uh, could be the standout song of that night. Uh, just in terms of musicianship, you know. So, it, like, I don't know. I, 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 I just think it, it, it depends on the band. But this is yeah. like, I mean, I see. I, I, I'm viewing this whole Primus thing as more like, this is more of like a passion project. Like, like the, the, this is like, this is less Claypool's Lulu, if you will. Like, like this is something that like I think he feels like he needs to do. Yeah. And really wants to do, and he's driven to it. And whether other people like it is kind of irrelevant, sure. Uh, because he's doing it the way he wants. And I know? think because that's a great point about the the Billy Joel uh, show we saw. I, I think those were incorporated well, and I guess it didn't bother me in that context. Uh, I don't. I guess I don't know why. Maybe it was just because they played so much material that it was interesting to have that variety there. But um, maybe it was the like sort of genre similarity because like you know I. I sort of am. It's easier for me to mentally like sort of lump Billy Joel and like the Beatles together because That's I think fair. like oh like kind of classic rock, but like whereas like Primus Shushu or Shushu and ZZ Top. I mean, I, I don't know if you'd naturally well, it, make that. Yeah, I I, I wouldn't make that, but like but like Primus and Rush, I really don't see that a whole lot, except that like both have really good bass players and they're tech- <laughs> you I mean, know. I guess if you you technically you could consider Primus prog rock in a way. I mean, the Primus are kind of their own piece. I I'll, yeah. I always think I think. Of all the bands, like, ever, and I don't think this is an overstatement, I think it is so bizarre that Primus became as popular as they did. I think they're the yeah. weirdest, quote-unquote, popular rock band ever. Like, they're just, they're such a weird band to have gotten as big as they, they I think were. them and, them and Guar, maybe. <laughs> yes, like, Guar is, is a, a pretty, pretty substantial... But um, I, I think Guar is probably more famous for, like, the live shows and everything. Sure, But, yeah. like, probably, because, I mean, like, like <clears throat> I have honestly never listened to a Guar album. I don't think I probably ever will yeah. um, to be totally honest but i've heard that a guar show is like it's fucking crazy. awesome to go to. yeah, yeah. My, my uncle who is does not like guar, like even that's like metal that much at all one of his friends is like do you want to go see guar and he's like hell yeah i do and he said that the music was awful but the show was like one of the most entertaining and hilarious things oh yeah i've seen in his life so, i actually i haven't listened to much i don't know if guar is good or bad in terms of music or like yeah, what i don't I really know either i I, yeah. I just i have so little interest because I'm just like okay, I don't, like, I don't really like comedy or like gimmicky music in general. So that, that's kind of why. Because there's they're like hyper 
they're way over the top, like, me- like metal, you know what I mean? Like, and they kind of, like, yeah. the interviews I've seen with them, it's like, okay, this is a little, this is a little much. Yeah, um, I mean, it, it, it's kind of a performance art piece. Yeah, exa- exactly. If you will. Um, um, but I'll, I'll wrap this up just by saying, I want to make it clear, I don't, I don't think, I have no problem with, with Primus doing this. In fact, I think I can see, especially knowing what you just shared, uh, it, it's a heartfelt, or meant as a heartfelt tribute, and, and I think that's great. Um, I just think it's a little, it's a little odd, and personally, I, in terms of my own interest, I, I wouldn't go. You know, it's not coming near um, where I live, so it's kind of. Uh, I mean, Boston. Is it coming to Boston? I yeah, thought, it's I, thought to Boston. I saw it was coming to uh, Connecticut. You know, is, yeah, is the it, yeah, right before that is Boston. Uh, okay. On the, uh, June twenty third. I mean, it, here's the thing: is like, if I, I would be interested into going to this if if I knew, like, if it was like guaranteed. That they'd be playing more than just a tribute to Kings, but I don't think. I mean, I assume they will, but I mean, who knows? Because yeah. because I don't think they've mentioned. Like, I haven't seen and like an encore set of, of Primus songs. I mean, you have to assume that you know there's there will probably be enough time left over. Uh, also, like I'm not huge. Like I think the Sorter okay, and I, I like that one Wolf Mother album, but I don't know much else. Um, yeah. So. I, yeah. Exactly. Like I. Don't I really wouldn't want to see either Wolf Mother or the Sword live? Yeah, like just and it's nothing against either of those bands. It's just like I don't know, like if if, if I'm gonna pay, um, you know, <laughs> if, if I'm gonna pay to if I'm gonna pay to see a concert, I, I want it to be a band that I really enjoy, yeah, which would yeah. be Primus. Yeah, and if, you know? so you're gonna see, you know, two bands you don't like, and then a band that like you might enjoy, but you're not sure if what they're going to present is going to be because i i wonder if it's going to work you know is primus doing like primus-esque covers of rush or are they really going to play it very straight laced uh that is a good point too because i i feel like i mean less claypool's fucking weird so like i i i'm, I'm kind of hoping that he would just do his own take on it yeah and i feel like that presents kind of a uh you kind of need a Goldilocks situation because if they if they just kind of straight up play covers, I feel like that's gonna be a little boring. But if they go too weird and just kind of you know bastardize it for lack of a better word, like that's also not great. You know that's I also mean, like so. I mean, so, well, one last little thing. You could almost argue that Chushu did the same thing with the Twin Peaks cover album, like 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 but what they create and what like Angelo Battlemeni created are just two separate beasts entirely sure absolutely but they're both really good so yeah for sure yeah. no i, I think uh, so, that they did a great job with yeah. that um yeah so all right um let us move on then uh let's talk about uh so we, we've it's been a while since we reviewed uh a new album uh because i think we just you know we're just so full of opinions yeah, exactly <laughs> uh so uh, this is this was on my uh, you know very small truncated list for this year to take a look at, which was the uh, the new Raspberry Bulbs album before the Age of Mirrors, which um, I actually never listened. I I I, I remember you bought um, you bought an album of theirs. I I don't remember which one. Yeah, it was um, it was the the purely all pink one. It was de- uh, Deformed Worship, I think. It was one of the. Like I think it was their first. Cause I think they have another like EP or another release that also looks 
looks similar. I, I'm pretty sure it's deformed. Is it version. the one with the the kid with the flag yeah, on the, the front? Flag. Yep, that's yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I don't remember I, that one a lot. I didn't listen to it a ton. I remember I bought it based off of, you know, some recommendations from friends, and I don't remember loving it as much yeah, as they so said. Um, I, 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 re- I just knew, like, I think when um, you guys on Heavy Blog posted a little uh, something of, like, uh, up- upcoming releases for the year, and uh, they had that on there, and it said something like Black and Hardcore, and I was like, okay, I like I, w- I want to try to listen to this. And so I, I, I don't know what the lead single was uh i maybe you maybe you can help me out with that i forget but... i think i might have put black and punk because that's what that's what i had heard they were yeah like, and, and you know, so i based off well, of just kind of what i had been told yeah so like i i listened to the lead single a little bit and i was like okay i i really want to check this out and uh wow listening to this thing was was a trip uh but like a really really interesting trip uh I mean, I, I listened to this and our other album that we're going to be talking about every day since Saturday, uh, which, I mean, I guess is three days, which isn't a whole lot, all things considered. But, like, uh, I don't usually listen to the same album that often. Uh, you know, and so, like, but but it was a really good experience, I, I guess is what I mean to say. Um you know, so I, I'm going to use this one label. I, I, I'm not a huge, I don't really like to label bands, you know, put them in their own genre, tags, what have you. But like, I, I kept, this kept going through my mind every single time I put this thing on, which is like, th- this is kind of like blackened post-punk, if you will. Mm-hmm. And I, I love that. Like, I love how like novel that sounds. And like, but, but yet like, there are parts of it that, that that feel just so traditionally rock, like it's it, it's a very strange take on on this genre, if you will. Yeah, I, it was. Um, I'm a little bit less positive than you are. Uh, I did like it. I think what threw me off is it's an unfortunate case where I feel like people they might overblow a little bit what it is because i mean this technically i guess you could describe it as black and punk but i think it's probably more accurately just kind of og black metal i mean this sounds very much like an updated version of what like bathory and venom were doing back in the day like the kind of yeah you, you take like the mid-paced uh aggression of punk and kind of like the, the i guess some elements of I mean, at the time, there was it was they were just kind of experimenting with punk and like what heavy metal had been doing, and thrash had been doing, and that's kind of how those sounds came together. Um, See, I I viewed this more as like less Bathory and more like Gang of Four with with with, with, with like Fenris from uh, Dark Throne on vocals, almost. Interesting. You know why? Like like they like it. I, I like the blackened part of it really only comes to me more in sort of the performance and sort of the production. Uh-huh. Uh, whereas I think the written material just reeks of post punky stuff to me, which I, 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 I don't know. I, I just I like how they've merged those two. I'm not saying that it's the most novel fucking thing on the planet because I mean, it, it's not like, you know, a lot of people have been doing like black and hardcore a lot lately like uh young and in the way is probably the biggest example i can think of 
Uh, oh, oh, I mean, if, if you want to count like those black and roll bands too, I, I, I would almost put them in there. You know, um, freaking, you know who I'm talking about, the the Caveller talk. Yeah. Uh, like, they're all kind of in this vein of like taking like old school sound, and like really just like focusing that edge and making it all like ragged and dirty. Um. You know, th- that being said, like I, I like usually when I when I review an album positively, I'm like, oh yeah, this is definitely like an album of the year for me. I, I mean, I, I enjoyed it. I I honestly I, I just don't know how like albums work for me. I guess it, it, as the year passes on, <laughs> like, um, you know, a lot of the stuff that we reviewed last year that I was a really big fan of, I ended up not even including in our in our top ten. Mm-hmm. So, like, uh, I, I can't really say anything about it in terms of, like, how this will affect me at the end of the year. I mean, also, it's fucking February, but... Yes. Um, <laughs> so, Yeah, that, ha- you know, that happens every year where, like, because there's a... At least for me, there's such a shortage of new albums in January just because the year just started. That there's so many albums, you're like, oh my gosh, like, this is absolutely going to be my year endless. And then as soon as the months roll on and, like, you have trouble keeping up with, yeah. with the music, it's like, okay, never mind. See... I, I, I think what what got me I think what kept me really interested in this album was just that you know it it doesn't really let up for a second and in the points that you could argue it lets up which I would say like the interludes maybe they they present some really interesting like sonic experimentation that I, I almost wish they would push forward more with I was gonna like, say the exact same thing like for me yeah. um I kind of throughout the album like I, I again I, I did like this album I think yeah. I expected something different to me this this really was uh, a, a slightly more leaner and punkier version of early Bathory um, but I really did love the interludes like I, even though they were brief and they truly were like true blue interludes because sometimes when people say interludes they're it, like, like, I, I you know usually interlude to people means like you know, unnecessary, but I, I, I really like how they connect this album. Together. Yeah, absolutely. So, I, I think that was yeah. along the lines of, or that's a good summation of what I was going to say, is that I felt yeah. like, um, I really did feel like these interludes, they had something to say. Like, they were, they were interesting. Like, when they came on, and maybe it was just because they contrasted so much with the music itself, um, mm. but, like, when they came on, I was like, oh, okay, like, this is interesting. Whereas usually interludes are really... Because that's actually a pet peeve of mine with, with music. Like an unnecessary interlude or intro or outro where it's just yeah. like... You, you, you could shorten this and just make it part of the song. There's no reason to have this, but... Oh, yeah. I, like, like metal is rife with that. Oh, my God. Like, 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 I'm so thinking much. of like Tech Death albums. There's so many like prog you know, albums, too, that just have like these intro tracks that that just don't really serve a whole lot yeah and, and i'm thinking especially this is prevalent in sludge and some uh some of the more like grittier underground metal that tries to be a little bit too in, too intense for its own good um like they'll do this the the sound sample like interviews of like serial killers or like oh like, right, like right. some news clips like one of my favorite metal albums of all time is uh hatred of mankind by dragging the sunlight and mm. it has so many of those and it's just it's really really annoying because they don't add anything it's just like it's just dead space um yeah well, well so like 
I, the first thing that came to my mind when we bring up like sampled voices is that uh, Charles Manson clip at the beginning of Ex Military. Yeah, I, that I actually really love that. Like that might be my favorite part of the album because, <laughs> but it's used sparingly. I think that's the one instance of that on the album, if I remember correctly, or on the mix. Yeah. Album. Oh yeah. It was it was really the only place that like a vocal snippet really showed up in like a really big place. Like I, I think. Um, I think Culture Shock might have... Culture Shock, Future Oh, I gotta listen yeah. to Alex, because I forgot how much I fucking love that. Yeah, uh, you need to vibrate higher. Yeah, <laughs> like, that's that's the only other time I can think of that they're really, like, including, like, a full-on vocal sample. Yeah. Uh, like, that much. But a- a- anyway, like, yeah, the, in this case, like, the, these guys really, like... I, I, I like how it you know makes the album you know you you would think that um sort of some of these interludes like like because in a way they almost sound out of place on the album but like it's almost like the way they're 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 placed within the track listing that sort of like makes the whole album run really well like it it, it really creates an interesting like uh experience when it comes to the track listing yeah absolutely and so. i think they're they're very well placed um it it pretty much perfectly segments the album because uh, I was listening to a jazz album the other day by uh, off the look of the name you know in a little bit but there was an interlude after the very first song like track two was an interlude and it I mean it didn't really detract from the flow of the album it just kind of was like oh okay that's kind of weird like you had this really cool opening track and then just this weird like minute long excursion and that was it mm-hmm. and I was like okay that's that seemed that was a weird weird you know that didn't make any sense um so i really i liked that you had kind of like the you know the the punk aggression and then like this this cool kind of soundscape and and experimentation and then equal um, you know equal chunk and then another one i just i i felt like um they really fleshed it out because it made the actual compositions almost to feel a little bit um a little bit more dynamic just because they had something to contrast against like i felt Mm. like um, each of the the songs that I heard, you know, before and after, obviously listening to this multiple times, it it changed my perception of the album as a whole. And I think if they didn't have those at all, this I would have a bit more of a negative opinion of of mm-hmm. what they presented. What um, so I, how many times did you listen to this? By the way, uh, I think I would say I listened to it about three times. Uh, listened okay. to it twice on Friday, and I think I tried to listen to it in a fourth time today, but I got pulled away from something work-related. But I listened to it first thing when I got to the office. Um, and I definitely, it, it grew on me more with each subsequent listen, because part of me feels pretty strongly that it's because of the expectations. I think this was billed as this really like experimental black and punk project, and I just, I don't know if it hit that bar. But I think yeah, it, hit, I, it hit a good bar of quality, though. Which is... I, I don't think I ever saw it like sort of marketed as that. So you know, I, I just saw it as more like black and hardcore type of. Which I, I again, like I, I don't feel like it fits that tag very well. But still, like you know, it, it's probably the best description for it. Yeah, I. I mean, I think whenever you have a black metal album that's slightly different. Um, I would say this fits much more on the the punk and the hardcore and, and end of the spectrum than the black metal end of the spectrum. But I think in today's day and age, especially in like a post 
Deaf Heaven World. Um, not that this, not that this has any sonic similarities to Deaf Heaven, but as soon as people saw, like, wait a second, like black metal can have crossover appeal, like let's do this. Um, yeah, I think that in a way, anything that is black metal but different kind of gets gets the whole like, oh, this is black metal, but not your father's black metal. Uh, so I wonder what my father's black metal would be. <laughs> I know because my dad certainly never listened to black metal yep, when he was growing up. Mine either. Like, um, w- which would be so funny to see. Like, just find a picture of like one of our dads like in corpse paint. <laughs> I would love to see because I've seen my dad in like a toga. So I feel like that's like the opposite. Not of surprising, yeah. knowing your father, yeah, but <laughs> I feel like it's like the opposite of corpse paint. <laughs> yeah, I, I think the opposite of corpse paint would be like. I don't know, like preppy cheerleader. I guess, yeah. Which I mean, that, that that's got to be someone's fetish, right? <laughs> yes. Oh wow! It didn't take that long till we got to fetish. <laughs> Only thirty-two minutes. That's how I do things. Oh, very Here's good. Scott. This is how I run this podcast. When <laughs> when, when the, the weeks I have to run it, oh, so half man. of the time it, it's a coherent fun experience and the other time it's it's just an awkward sexually ambiguous one so hey that's we're here to party yeah there we go <laughs> so so basically like you, you're you're mixed but positive yeah um, I, I positive was, i would say more I, more on the positive I, end of the spectrum for sure well so like that's why you're mixed but positive but i'm positive but mixed i guess yes so <laughs> we balance each other out it works out yes yeah it, it, i mean as like i enjoyed this it, it was just like it's nice to just have a you know an album that just you know fucking just slams you mm-hmm. know like it, it it doesn't have doesn't beat you over the head with the message mm-hmm. even though I'm pretty sure there is like a lot of uh, political messaging Probably. within this but like yeah. it, you know it, it it wasn't like it was uh, carried to the forefront so much that like you know we were getting like you know like Mario Savio quotes or something like that you know <laughs> like or you know marks being read <laughs> so. You know, like it, it, it was it was a fun experience. I enjoyed it. Uh, I think depending on how much it might be, I, I might buy it just just because it you know is it, it's one of those fun things to just throw on every so often. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. All right. So next up, then we are flying along today. Uh, by the way, because like we're already half an hour. We've already we're already on our last thing. Um, wow. But. I, I mean, I have a feeling we're going to be talking about this for most of the next half an hour. So, um, basically, uh, we, we do in a segment called uh, Album Anniversaries where we take an album that, you know, has sort of like a major birthday, if you will, and we talk about it. And uh, this February happens to be uh, one of our collective favorite albums, um, which is uh, Naked City. Uh, the the first Naked City album by the band Naked City. It's technically uh, it's technically released under John Zorn's name, uh, but I count it as a band effort personally. Um, yeah, so we've we've talked about this before. I mean, earlier incarnation of this podcast was called Torture Garden, named after the Naked City compilation of the mm-hmm. same name. Uh, we're both pretty big Zorn fans, and uh, you know, and this thing turns thirty this year. Uh, which is fucking amazing. Um, just to think, th- like, just think, think about how much material John Zorn has put out in thirty years. <laughs> I mean, it, it's it's insane. Like, it's it's more material than. I mean, you could combine. I wonder how many 
bands you could combine, like from I don't know the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame or whatever, and like their collective output wouldn't even come close to what Zorn has put out. I mean, I I feel like you know with with those type of bands, I don't know, like it. You you ever feel like with rock bands, like they're on like the spectrum of like they put out one album and then the group just splinters, or they're like the Rolling Stones and they just keep pushing out turds no matter what, <laughs> like. You know, it, it, like it, it feels like, you know, any rock band can sort of fall in, in between those, in a way. Like, so it, it's, it's almost tough to sort of gauge. But yeah, just Zorn's Zorn put out a fuck ton of material. And still to this day, you know, Naked City is probably his best remembered project. Yeah, I would say whenever you... Um... I think it's one of his few projects that is widely reviewed... Um, like, because occasionally mm. you'll see, like, I think Consequence of Sound randomly reviewed one of the uh, the Moonchild albums um, in like right. in their early days. I think it's, it's the the Crucible, I'm pretty sure. And then occasionally Pitchfork. I think they've stopped just because there's so much material. Well, um, so it's funny you mentioned Pitchfork because uh, I, if you look on Wikipedia, it says that P- Pitchfork considers that this album came out in the 1980s. It, it, that it came out in well, 1989. The copy that I have says 1989 on the back, and I really I don't know why because if you look it up officially, I mean it, it was recorded in 89, but it was released in uh, in 1990. Yeah, see, like I, I've seen like I, I've seen a I, I've done a little bit of research, and it seems like more people are say 1990 than 1989, but which is weird I because if that wasn't that I feel like that wasn't long enough ago that this is like lost information. Like it's kind of weird yeah. that there's even any confusion well, about it. No, I see. I I think it's sort of confused. I because we're we're not talking about, uh, you know, some well documented album. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. In a way, like, or I mean, I mean, to, to be fair, like, I think Naked City compared to most of the stuff within John Zorn's like, you know, overall sphere of influence is probably the most documented. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's also like. You know, but we're we're talking about a very insular scene in in a sense that doesn't get a whole lot of airtime. Yeah. Uh, just in the general like musical zeitgeist. Yeah. So you know, like there isn't going to be a whole lot of information about it. It's it's sort of like how um, like I'm thinking of like Keo Abe, uh, who's like a old Japanese uh, saxophonist, uh, amazing player, but like you know he has stuff that like people are still like finding out about <laughs> you know it's, yeah. it's and it, it, he's been dead for like 20 30 years something like that so yeah unfortunately sometimes it takes um it takes time for i, I feel like it's kind of random uh because so it's the per- perfect perfect way to describe this album by the way yeah and and i mean i think it makes sense why um why this album sticks out for people who may not be as familiar with Zorn, just because I feel like this has comparatively the most to offer while also being relatively accessible, or at least I feel like I feel like there's more here that people can draw parallels to to what they typically listen to, depending on your vantage point, because that, that's the important thing for Zorn, is he touches on so many different styles that what your background is will dictate what projects speak to you most. Yeah, I, I actually, so I was talking to somebody on Reddit uh, who was asking about, like, you know, recommending Zorn albums, and th- I pretty much went that route of just, like, okay, if you're into metal, check out, like, Moonchild, mm-hmm. and maybe, like, Naked City, but, you know, if you're more into jazz, Masada's probably gonna be your thing, yeah. But, like, he definitely, 
includes a lot of different stuff here. Um, you know, I, I think people talk about Torture Garden a little more than this one, but I, you know, I be, mostly because of just you know, Torture Garden is like sort of the 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 purest you know culmination of like what we think of as Naked City. You know, just like these these really really fast songs just interspersed with all these different genres and mm-hmm. just punctuated by just like blinding grindcore mm-hmm. um you know but i i listening to this thing again because I, I this is probably my least listened to out of all the naked city albums um you know i i really like i really loved a lot of the tracks that broke that weren't the, those little hardcore miniatures like uh they their rendition of the chinatown theme i thought was really awesome uh, the james bond theme obviously that i think that was the first song of his that yeah. i sent you well, first no right. we we you had a series of songs you wanted me to just you were just gonna play and i was gonna listen in real time and that was the first one you opened with it was a hell of an opening and i was like what the <laughs> hell is this yeah and it, it, it was the first piece of zorn i ever i think i ever listened to and it was quite it was quite an introduction. It, it will, yeah, I, I know because like like when you get into it, like you hear like that little like rubber band cartoon sound. Yeah, that shows up, which I still love. Like I almost want to sample that because like I, I I just think it's like one of the coolest sounds, and just to sort of place it along with like just such a famous film theme is just really cool. I I, I think you know just. There's so much to say about this album, uh, and there's so much I want to say too. I, I guess the first thing that I probably thought of the most when I was listening to this, because I've been listening to this since like Thursday, like every day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I, I it's really interesting to see, you know, like th- this is you really get to see what makes Zorn Zorn, if mm-hmm. you will, um, because you know you have this huge influence of film music. You know, yes. because, you know, like, not only do you have, you know, just sort of this cartoon style that, you know, really, um, I guess, like, uh, seems influenced by film, you know, but by, like, Godard's, like, you know, uh, jump cuts and things like that. But he also just does, you know, just straight up themes from a bunch of different movies. I mean, he does, you know, Chinatown, James Bond, uh, you know, the Sicilian clan, which is uh, an, an Ennio Morricone. Uh, piece uh, and the, I mean he opens with the Batman theme you know so like but, but at the same time you also see uh, sort of you, you, you know you got that Lonely Woman cover you know you got you got things like that you got um, a couple of themes that are like you know aren't as well known I mean especially like that Ennio Morricone theme that uh, the Sicilian clan like usually people think of i mean or at least i do anyway i i think of more like neo morricone like spaghetti western film mm-hmm. scores um so it's interesting that, that he just like it's just like oh yeah but we'll include like the, the this one and it's like the second track in the fucking album yeah so uh, yeah and i like that within that you know there's uh ever since uh, you kind of talked um to me i think it was on a either this podcast previous incarnation you talked about how much he's influenced by um, Looney Tunes and yeah. the 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 specific. Uh, yeah, Roadrunner. Yeah, and there's a great um, video on YouTube where I, I actually haven't followed his channel since, but he does a great breakdown of the composer behind Looney Tunes and how he influenced yeah, him. Yeah, uh, specifically th- that that that's David Bruce. 
Yeah. Um, and, yeah. And he specifically he, talks about Zorn. You know, yeah, in it's, relation it's, to how uh, that... it's Carl Stalling, who yeah. is the uh, the composer behind Looney Tunes. Yeah. But even, even with that, I feel like there are ways this album ebbs and flows, and there are different... Um, movements from track to track you know for example there's kind of like the the midsection is a string of just straight up grindcore songs and then yeah some of the tracks at the end almost have like a traditional metal even like some black metal riffing you know very faint you know a lot of a lot of things here or i mean everything here pretty much he he puts his own spin on some segments where the saxophone is really in your face other segments where he really hammers in on that like kind of surf rock vibe it, it's it's yeah. so fascinating that, you know, no matter how many times I, I've listened to this, there's always something different. There's always something new that I feel like, oh, like I, maybe I didn't listen to it in the same way. Because listening to this with the mindset of um, how he approaches composition, you know, in relation to like the Looney Tunes, the cartoons, the kind of the, the very energetic and narrative-driven approach in a way, it opened it up for me a little bit. Uh, I think because... I viewed this as a more sophisticated version of a lot of the math grind and math core I listened to in my high school years, uh, just because I was thinking, oh, like there's all this random stuff going on. But listening to it with a bit more of that sophisticated mindset, uh, or even just a little bit more of um, a little bit more educated about what Zorn was going for, because I, yeah. I just I don't think it's fair to say that this is just you know purely random, right? Like, oh, we just it it. it, it definitely is not like yeah. he it, it is incredibly well thought out like uh there's actually a book on zorn's music that uh i read not too long ago where uh the author was actually talking to him and uh sent him i think it was uh i think he took the track snagglepuss if i remember right and he took the miniature sections of it like you know like the the different genres and just basically flipped them around like he basically did what zorn did originally and just kind of like reshuffled all these different jump cuts and then sent it to him and asked him what he thought about it and Zorn hated it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like he said, look, th- there's definitely like an idea in mind of, you know, th- there's definitely a narrative in mind, but I-, I mean, I've listened to this thing so many times, dude, I-, I could not tell you for the life of me what that narrative would be. Yeah. <laughs> so. But I, think, I think that's kind of the cool part is that there's, you know, you're going to have a segment of like, intense grindcore with saxophone lead into a rendition of the James Bond theme song. Like, what other album yeah. are you going to get something like that? Like, that's oh, yeah, just no, so... It, it, it's, it's nuts. Like, it, it's... It's very just... I mean, I, I, I feel so pretentious saying this, but it's it's so fucking postmodern. Like, it, it just really just, like... It's such a postmodern mindset. Like, I mean, even if you go back to what Carl Stalling was doing, like, you know... It, I, I, I'm pretty sure this is right, you know, I, I guess don't at me <laughs> if, don't at if it isn't. Um, but the, like, Carl Stalling, I, I don't really think he ever, like, really wrote his own material. Like, he would just take chunks of existing material and just mix it all together to create that mood, depending on what the cartoon needed at the time. You know, and, and Zorn does very similar things. In that, you know, he's taking all these different genres that I think, you know, influenced him a lot and he's sort of putting them all together. And I think that it's more about the, not the genres separately, uh, but the entire view of it. Like, it, it's like, it, it, it's it's like 
it's it's viewing the collage as a whole instead of you know just a bricklage of pictures. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think which is you know I, I think I don't know just what what's always annoying me is how people get so hung up on uh you know when they talk about naked city about how like oh yeah he's they're they're flipping genres just like that and just like going like every five seconds and it's like yeah like that's a fundamental part of it but i think it's like it's almost like those people are focused too much on that one aspect and they fail to sort of look at the bigger picture that like this thing is just like i i it's it's just indescribable almost (laughs) like (laughs) Just, just in the way that it's that it's composed, and like, like it's there's there's so much being thrown at you at once that it's it's almost like impossible to grasp it all, mm-hmm. uh, which is just super cool. Um, you know, it, this is also uh, you know an example of sort of creativity by subtraction as well, because I mean Zorn Zorn's noted in saying that the whole idea behind the Naked City project was to sort of, uh, in, I think in his words, was like challenge the limits of a traditional rock band mm-hmm. in a way. And in, in a sense, he does, or at least for like the first like three or so albums uh, from Naked City, because, you know, you literally just have him on sax, Bill Frizzle on guitar, Fred Frith on bass, Joey Barron on drums, Wayne Horvitz on keyboards, and then uh, Yamataka I from um, fucking Boredom's on uh, vocals mm-hmm. and like that's it um you know but they they do end up changing that a little bit as their discography goes on like uh absinthe their final album was like they, they were playing like bags of leaves and stuff like that so um a little different <laughs> <laughs> but i i feel like i'm talking all during this do you, do you have anything you want to add this. No, I mean, it, this is of, of the album anniversaries we've done, or I mean, frankly, any of the albums we've talked about, and this is just such an incredibly singular album. I mean, even when you, you played the uh, the Bond theme song, I didn't know what I was getting to when I actually bought the album. I think soon yeah. after you played that, I, I was in Portsmouth with, with family, um, and at the Bulma's there, they had a used copy of this album, and I was like, oh, well, let me buy it. And then listening to it in full myself, I was like, I was not prepared for this. Yeah. Um, and I think I think that's why because his his classical albums that that I have, you know, his string quartets, and then I think Magic. I always get yeah. that fucked up. Magic and mysticism. Oh, you're talking madness, um, madness, magic, and mysticism. Madness, mystery, and mysticism. I think. Yeah, exactly. Like that. Like that. You have the same kind of um, exploration and that kind of alluding to his influence, but it's all based in classical music so you don't necessarily have the same variety and some of the more um, jazzy stuff you know again it's very much in a specific genre even you know it's super wild and great but what's so unique about Naked City is that you have that sonic exploration and it's that fearlessness but it's across so many different styles you know especially styles you would never imagine to be you know together ever on the same album and then just strung together with just some of the fiercest metal you will ever hear. Yeah, like it's it's not you know nothing here feels. Uh, I mean, this is a bit too intense a term, but like nothing feels tokenized. Like nothing feels like hey, I just I put metal in just for the shits and giggles. Like hey, the sax is here for whatever reason. You know what I mean? Like everything feels like it has a purpose. It blends together really well. It, it yeah. it's just such a great album, and it's it's something that I don't think. I don't think you could really find a parallel for it. Like I said, you know. 
back when I used to listen to, you know, an Albatross, Genghis Tron, I wrestled a bear <laughs> once. Like I yeah. used to, like that's that was my basis of comparison initially, just because that was like you know the random math grind stuff. But this is just so different because it truly is fearless. Like when you really break down the kind of new wave of like jazz core or math core math grind, uh, it, it's not as fearless as you might think. Like there's definitely a foundation that they just get a little weird from. I feel like there's there's maybe an overarching narrative. There's you know compositions and thought behind these these albums but like I, just the performances and the kind of the gusto for lack of a better term it's just so fearless and it just comes from a place of pure exploration and i, I just, yeah I, I i i think part of that is like you know i wrestled with baronlets and those type of bands like they will probably admit to you that they're metal bands whereas naked city just it, it like it, it it's like I wrestled bear once is more like a metal band that sort of dives into these different genres. Oh sure, yes. Yeah. Whereas Naked City is just a band that plays all of these genres, and that's super unique because usually yeah. a band, even if they're like, oh, like we don't, you know, we don't want to be classified or whatever, like they'll at least admit, like we, you know, we're a metal band, we're a rock band, we play jazz, but this really is just uh, like it. It is its own thing because oh, I yeah. don't know if you could. I don't know if you could pick what the foundation of this album. I guess you could say it's a rock album, maybe. I mean, uh, you know. it, it's it's a rock album in like the most basic sense of rock. Yeah, exactly. It, it, in that it's like guitar driven most yeah. of the time, you know, and you have like that standard rock band setup. But I don't think any of the genres or subgenres that are on this album, you know, I don't, I don't think you could say it is like this isn't a surf rock album. I, I would say this yeah. is, isn't even necessarily a grindcore album just because there's so much other stuff going on, um, which I think is part of what makes it so great is that yeah, it, it's it, just a, like it, it, it's it's definitely just avant-garde music. Yeah, like at, at its purest definition. At, at every turn, you're gonna get something different. And even when you come back, you know, you might hear something in a different way or. Um, the fact that it's going at such an incredible pace and energy, um, sometimes stuff flies by and, and it's, it takes a few listens to, wait, what did I just listen to? Like, I remember when I first listened to it and I got to that kind of grindcore patch, like the very focus, you know, like the very com- heavy concentration of grindcore. Like that was such yeah. a trip. I was like, oh my God, like, like, cause I was expecting the, you know, the more significant changes, but really it was just like, like blast after blast and it's great. It's just really, yeah. really intense, and it's such an interesting... Uh, it, or it's a testament just how interesting the album remains the entire time. There's always something to, to grab oh, yeah. onto. There's always something to really be fascinated with. I, I think Zorn once described his music as, like, music for impatient people. That is <laughs> Which a great is, way to put it. Yeah, he, he really does a great job describing it sometimes with things like that. I, As much as I love uh, this album, though, I, I do have one little gripe with it. And it's uh, built like it's it's sort of in the production um, that I, I think at times it has and I think this is probably more indicative of the time it was recorded rather than the sort of the method mm-hmm. of recording, if you will, because like I, I always felt like Bill Fressel's good like guitar tone on this was, was just kind of like seemed a little out always seemed a little out of place, like it it, it felt like it was like not heavy enough during like the heavy sections and like not light enough during the light sections like it just always felt like oddly artificial um i to can me. see that yeah yeah um 
but I, again, I, I think that that has, I think, I think that's more due to you know I think the limitations of recording at the time, sure, uh, than anything. And I think probably that these guys, I, I'm I'm assuming probably weren't you know working with a whole lot of money and like a whole lot of like you know expensive equipment and things like that. Like you know, I mean Zorn's talked about how he like lived off of like just potatoes for like a year straight Mm -hmm. so you know it's (laughs) like a lot of these musicians don't always live the healthiest lives um yeah so what was it one of the um one of the members of captain b part lived off like a a cup of soybeans every day for (laughs) oh well i mean if if you want to go into a whole thing um like check out the recording of trout mask replica because like yeah it, it, it was like i mean it was like a. It, it was it, actually it was. It was just straight up abuse. Oh, it was straight up abusive, but yeah. but it was like also like eerily similar to like almost like a cult yeah. in a way that, that that they just like hold themselves up in like this house for like what like three months or something like that, and like Zappa just let like Beefheart do whatever the fuck he wanted. <laughs> it was like it, cre- it created a pretty excellent album, so I guess oh, you know. God, is, it, yeah, <laughs> but I, I will say that like I I really wish people would give other Beefheart albums a try because like he has some really good material that's beyond Trout Mask. Sure, like, I mean, I, Dock of the Radar Station I think is just a gem of an album. So, uh, anyway, we're getting off topic. I I really yeah I, I I love this album. You know, I have that little gripe with it. Um, I would say I probably would listen to Torture Garden on the whole more. Uh, but I really loved listening to this again, and uh, I, I really loved sort of uh, listening to the 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 tracks that weren't part of those like hardcore miniatures, you know, like all these uh, film theme covers and things like that. Like I, they 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 really uh, sort of were they had a new dimension in my listening these past like this time around. Mm-hmm. Um, because usually I, I chose, like, I remember in the past, I'd be like, oh, fuck this. Like, like, like you know, I, I, I want the insanity, like, I want the insanity, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, but I, I really liked, you know, especially like, I mean, probably the Chinatown theme most of all is just like, you know, it, it's Zorn's sax playing in that is just so subdued mm-hmm. and just soft. And like, you know, it's just it, it, like, it just struck me, uh, you know, a couple of listens, uh, ago that I was like man the, like it's just so fucking versatile like he's he's just like those people that, that think he just you know screeches all day like just just listen to that theme like you know he he can play whatever the fuck he wants so mm-hmm. um yeah uh I, I would also say that this is probably the the best um starter i guess for like naked city uh because it, it gets a little convoluted as time goes on um like, because uh, the other album's what? Uh, Grand Guignol, which is kind of a continuation of, of what you do in Naked City. Like, there's a bunch of hardcore miniatures, but then there are also, like, a bunch of classical pieces that are performed with a rock band. So, it's you know, it's a little less accessible. Heretic is mostly improvised, and it's sort of, like, chamber improvisations for, like, this... It's like a score for a BDSM film. Mm-hmm. Um, Lang Che is just drone metal. Uh, they, they, they literally just took a miniature... A hardcore miniature and just stretched it so it was about half an hour long hmm. um yeah which is a, it's a super cool listen uh radio is probably more in the vein of you know naked city and grand guignol uh however you say grand guignol because i don't know how to say that <laughs> and uh finally absinthe is just it, it, it's almost like more of a sound art album in a way 
like like a lot it's very industrial like it sort of has like this post-industrial flair to it almost like dark ambient at times um you know like i said they, they were playing like you know like bags of leaves and like uh i think i'm trying to remember which track it is on this thing uh but there there's one track in particular that they get this sound from like unplugging their guitars and literally just, just taking the 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 cable and just like like just rubbing it all, all along the strings wow yeah it, so it's it, there's a lot of weird stuff going on absent all that to say is just that the self-titled album is probably just the best way to just sort of the best entry point into all of this yeah so. absolutely i would agree for sure yeah um though i will say though uh absinthe was was actually like my first sort of uh experience with zorn uh because it was from uh dave gon's um uh what's in your bag video uh he actually bought this and i was listening to parts of like the, the samples of it and i was like this is insane like i never heard something like this before and when I was in LA, I went to uh, Amoeba just to see if that album was there, but it, it wasn't. But that's so yeah. interesting. He would pick that. That's really cool. I'm actually gonna look that up so I can watch it later. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 super cool. Um, so yeah, yeah, su- super like, you know, uh, the, I th- I think all of the Naked City albums are worth listening to, but you know, the self titled is definitely like just it, it, it's it's a gem. So, and and then if you want to go insane, just on torture garden and it's it's just like it, it's it's less than half the runtime of the self-titled naked city album and it's just like it's like twice as hard so uh yeah all right well let's talk about albums of the week scoots you got an album of the week for me i do um right. i have been making a point of trying to collect uh really started with uh Mountain Goats, and then you know, after Neil Peart passed away, I you know, turned my attention to Rush, but I've just been trying to, when I get interested in an artist, I want to listen to a lot of their music in the context of their discography, so I try to you know, buy a bulk of, of albums at the same time. This is a pretty, pretty big name artist who I owned nothing from, and I just decided, we, we went to Newbury, you know, we were in Manchester doing shopping the other day, and I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna see what they have, and they had a good amount of this person's uh, discography. And I'll just ask you one question, Elaine: uh, Will you hold me closer, Tiny Dancer? <laughs> oh, wh- wh- which which album? Uh, I bought a ton of his albums, and of course, Elton okay. John. But uh, I mean, the one album I kept coming back to was Madman Across the Water, just I, because... I, I, I thought so. Just because Tiny Dancer is a great song. Uh, once Levon came on, I was like, oh, I know that song. And then Madman... He will you know, be Levon. The title track, <laughs> Indian Sunset. Like, it's crazy. And this is the same thing. I also bought, um, you know, Goodbye Elric Road. Um, I think... Did you get Hockey Chateau? I did get Hockey Chateau, and I got, uh, I think, blue was it Bluegrass Connection? Oh, Tumbleweed Connection. Tumbleweed, yeah, yeah. I, um, I I love Tumbleweed Connection. Yeah. That, that, that's such a beautiful album. And I lo- I mean there's so many songs on Goodbye Elbrick Road that I, I either was like oh I know that song. I mean obviously Benny and the Jets can't all yeah. the wind. Um, Benny and the Jets Saturday Night's alright for <laughs> fighting, but just yeah. I just Tiny Dancer is such a great song and so I just I found myself listening to that over and over again since buying it last week and 
I'm really glad I did because Elton John's great. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I know, like you know, you know, spoiler alert of the century, but like it just I it wasn't someone that we listened to growing up. I don't think for any particular reason my parents like Elton John, or at least my mom does. Um, yeah. But just listening to it now, it's 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 kind of a similar effect to the Beatles. Where listening, I'm like, wow, like I know a lot of these, even without actively trying to listen to Elton John. I know a lot of his songs just because oh, yeah. he's such a pervasive part of pop culture. That's really I mean, cool to see. It's just like they always play the hits. Yeah, so. and he has so many of them because he not only obviously part of it is just because he has so so much material, you know, and he was so popular. It's bound that you know he was gonna find success more often than not. Uh, although he had a little bit of a lull in his career before um, I'm trying to remember what song came out that kind of helped provide a. Uh, uh, oh, was it "Candle uh, uh, in the Wind"? I think I don't think it was that one. I think it was in the '80s. He kind of was a little bit down on in popularity. I'll, I'll, I'll try to find it, but and yeah, then it, it, it was probably Tiny Dancer or something like that, um, or, or Rocket Man. Or, um, see, I'll, I mean, he he just has a fuck ton. <laughs> I'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I know that personally with with Elton John. Like, I I sort of went through the same thing. But like, my my parents never like hated him, uh, but th- they never really like actively listened to him. Yeah. So, you know, I, and I just, I mean, I remember loving Crocodile Rock since I was like very little, like I, I just like, I, I love the way that song is written. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, it was, it was about when the rock was young, man. Yeah. <laughs> me, me and Susie, we had so much fun <laughs> holding hands and skipping stones. Uh, anyway, um, I, I, but I, I remember having trouble sort of getting in, like finding a good entry point into like a full album of his because, you know, just the hits get played so much. And I, I found, like, Tumbleweed Connection to be the best uh, entry point for me. Um, Interesting. So. Uh, yeah, by it, the way, it, it was uh, too low for zero because that had, I guess that's why they call it the blues, which is is one of my favorite Elton John songs. And I, I, I totally forgot that that's, that that's Elton John yeah. who sings that. And then uh, I'm Still Standing. Just because I, I, I love the subtlety of that lyric, just, you know. I guess that's why they call it the blues, you know. And and there's another and one. I guess that's why they call it the blues. I think there's a song on um, I think Goodbye Gilbert Road or uh, go, I forget what um, the song was, but it said you know you know, young man, you're too young to know what the blues are about or something like that. And just yeah. kind of that, that that's a cool you know, he, he, Bernie Taupin. Yeah, but Bernie Taupin. Yeah, like yeah, he, he, what, what an incredible pairing. The fact that they've stayed together this long and clearly had this much because, you know, obviously Bernie wrote the songs, but I mean, Elton John. No, but Bernie wrote the lyrics. Elton John wrote the songs. Oh, I thought he, he didn't help with the music at all. I don't think so. Uh, let me look that up. I'm pretty sure he was just the lyricist. Uh, yeah, having written the lyrics for most of Elton John's songs. Yeah. So interesting, yeah. All right. Well, yeah, that's my uh, album of the week. Very good. I, I've actually been meaning to buy that uh, at some point because Madman Across the Water is super good. Mm-hmm. So, um, I actually had trouble picking an album of the week because I have like three that I was thinking of, um, and I'm just going to talk about a couple of them briefly b- before I get to my one because uh, I, I actually finally listened to Pet Sounds again. And I really enjoyed it. Like, it really just clicked for me for some reason. Uh, so, like, I, I kind of wanted to shout that out because, like, I really enjoyed it. Nice. And I can't wait to buy that at some point. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know why it clicked with me. I mean, I think part of it is just, like, I, I still love, like, early Beach Boys more. But, you know, this was still really good. Like, it just, there was something about it that just really worked with me. 
Um, but then there was one other album that I had. Oh yeah, it was uh, Incubus's "Make Yourself," because I, it, you know, just listen. I was listening to that in the car, and I was like, "Damn, like this is a really strong album." Like even beyond like the obvious singles from that, you know, "Drive" and "Pardon Me." Mm-hmm. You know, like th- there's some really good tracks in there, and the lyrics are really interesting, and uh, they don't really get talked about a whole lot. Like even beyond "Drive." Um, but, uh, I just listened to this album of the week, uh, this, like, just probably not even, uh, like two hours ago, and, uh, I was blown away by it. So, it is, uh, Combustication by, uh, Medeski, Martin, and Wood. They're, like, a, uh, sort of like a jazz trio. Um, it, this was... Like I, this was on my to listen list for a little while, uh, just because like I, I know uh, John Medeski, uh, he works with Zorn a lot, uh, and Medeski, Martin, and Wood actually have uh, their own like uh, album in the Book of Angels series. Um, so like I, I've sort of known them from that, and I've always heard them being sort of like you know tossed about, um, but I finally gave this thing a listen, and it is it is awesome, like. Like sort of take like the idea of like a traditional piano trio, and then just update that for the '90s, and like like for like the 2000s, like it so so like it has like this like people often think of them as like a jam band apparently, huh. uh, even though they're they're very much like a like a very funky jazz band, but th- there's like a lot of like turntablism in this uh in this album, you know, but there's also like you know some like organ go i think there's some organ going there's like electric piano uh there's a lot going on it's just super funky super infectious uh and they 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 really show off how tight they are as a unit uh and i i'm just really amazed that you know because i mean blue note put this out you know so like it's just really cool to see uh like a modern jazz album that actually you know doesn't have to be this um sort of blandly produced jazz fusion thing so awesome yeah yeah That's really so again cool. it's, it's called uh combustication and it's by a uh, Medeski martin and wood so nice all right well that is going to be it for this week we will be back next week so thanks for listening thanks for listening all right bye <laughs>